Today is the last week of our summer sermon series about faith questions. Uh, we're going to have uh, next Sunday uh, for Labor Day weekend, Betsy and Chris are going to be doing worship uh, while uh, I'm away in Texas, and then we're going to kick off the fall with an Old Testament story series, some of those Old Testament stories that we really don't talk about very often, but have a lot to teach us. Uh, and uh, so we're going to start that series after Labor Day. Uh, so today, the question that was asked uh, is, uh, why do we talk so much about money? in the church what is uh you know and why are we so obsessed with it in our own lives and why do we sometimes get really nervous about even talking about it uh and so uh we're going to talk about that today the text uh comes from the gospel of luke the 16th chapter verses 1 through 13 the title of this text uh is uh the parable of the dishonest manager so we get a hint right off the top right uh about who this character is there's no denying that uh so uh luke 16 1 to 13 then jesus said to his disciples there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought against the manager that this man was squandering his property so the rich man summoned him and said to him what is this that i hear about you Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking a position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So he summons the debtors that owe money to his master, one by one. And he asks the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred jugs of olive oil. So the manager said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it only 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe my master? The man replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And the manager said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes, which sounds very confusing. Whoever is faithful in a little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with a dishonest wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, bless the reading and the hearing of this, your holy word, but especially, O oh God, Bless its doing. Amen. How many of you grew up with a record player in your house? Record player? Yeah. Uh, vinyl is on the comeback. There are a lot of folks, younger millennials and other people who are getting vinyl again. They love records, and the, uh, there are such amazing high-def music that you can hear off vinyl that in many ways is superior uh, uh, to digital uh, in some people's ears. I'm not attuned enough to be able to hear the distinct differences between them, but a lot of people are. We grew up with a record player in our house, and we didn't have a whole lot of records, but I remember us playing a couple of them 
them over and over and over again. Uh, my mother would play these classical uh, uh, pieces on, on her, when she was in charge of the record player. My dad had basically three albums. He had a Barbra Streisand album, he had a Godspell, and he had Jesus Christ Superstar, I guess he had four, uh, and he had Fiddler on the Roof. And we would listen to those over and over and over again. How many of you are aware or know a little bit, or at least a little bit about Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah, a lot, a lot of folks. So Fiddler on the Roof is this tale of a Jewish community, Anatevka, uh, that is being uh, sort of oppressed and beaten down uh, by the Russians uh, who, uh, or the, during that time period, that, that were really uh, having problems with Jews and Jewish settlers in their area. And there's a family that becomes sort of the key storytellers during all this. Uh, one of the most famous things that starts the movie is uh, Tevya, who's the dad, uh, says life in Anatevka is like a fiddler on the roof. And you get this beautiful, beautiful song with a fiddler up on the roof that plays several times throughout this, uh, the movie. I remember hearing that also in the church. My dad would use that example on uh, probably too regular basis. He would say the church is so obsessed with tradition, right? As Tevye would have said, tradition. And there was this sense that we sort of get wrapped up in that too much. But I also remember that when I would hear the song, I wish I was a rich man. I didn't know exactly what that meant. Some of you know that song. I've got the lyrics. No, I'm not singing it. Um, I've got the lyrics, and I want to just share a little bit. So there's this moment later on in the, in the, in the play or the musical, uh, the, um, uh, the movie, however you've seen it. Uh, there's this moment where uh, Tevye knows if he had money, if he had wealth, a lot of his problems would be solved. And so that he sings this song. Dear God, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, that it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would have been so terrible... If I had a small fortune, if I were a rich man, deedle 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 day, deedle 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 duck. All day long I'd biddy biddy bum if I were a wealthy man. I wouldn't have to work hard, deedle deedle, no, I'm not doing that. Um, I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up and another just coming down and one that would lead nowhere at all just for show. I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for all the town to see and hear, squawking just as noisily as they can. If I were a rich man, I wouldn't have to work hard. I would see my wife, my Goldie, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin, supervising meals to her heart's delight. I see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she would be in, screaming at the servants day and night. He goes on to say the important men in town would come to talk to him. And then he gets to this beautiful line where he says, if I were a rich man, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray. Maybe have a seat by the Eastern Wall, discuss learned books. If I was a rich man, Hmm. There have been a few times in my life where I was very aware of our income status as a family growing up. I remember when we got to high school and all of my friends were getting new cars when they turned 16. 
We lived in Andrews, Texas, which at that point was uh, the largest and wealthiest oil-producing county in the entire country. This is in West Texas. We had uh, three uh, big, huge private buses for our sports teams, and the band had three just for themselves. These were plush, amazing buses that had TVs that you could play a VCR in, right? They had amazing facilities. I lived in a town where the junior high had a planetarium. They had money like nobody's business. Lots of the people who went to my school were children of some of those wealthy executives. And as I said, they would get cars on their 16th birthday. Porsches, Jaguars, Cadillacs, brand new Corvettes. When Carla, my older sister, became 16, my parents bought uh, a little uh, green Vega from my grandmother. You guys remember the Vega? Very popular, fancy, sporty little car. So Carla had this little Vega, green, it was ugly green. This is not like cool green, cool mint green, or I mean, it's like neon, ugly uh, green. And it was not just an ugly green, it was a two-tone ugly green, right? So she would drive us places, and then as I got closer to being 16, I was like, all right, what car do I get? And my parents said, you don't get one. You get to share with Carla. And I'm like, seriously? Carla doesn't share anything in life. How am I supposed to ever get to use this car? It wasn't fair, and I hated the fact that nearly every friend I had had a brand new car. There were cars in that parking lot that you would only see in a Neiman Marcus uh, you know, uh, department store uh, parking lot in other places, and they were high school kids. And it made me feel like, man, I, I wish we had that. I wish that we could buy a brand new car for each one of us. And then I remembered that my dad had given my mother a new transmission in her car that same year for her birthday, <laughs> and that that didn't go over particularly well. And so me asking for a new car when my mother just got a new transmission was probably not going to happen no matter what. The second time I was really aware of wealth and the privileges of wealth has been uh, going to graduate school and putting a kid in college. It's hard, right? Those of you who have advanced degrees, college degrees that you're still paying off, uh, maybe some trade school that your kids are still working through, uh, your kids are in college, you may not have paid those bills off yet, your kids may have, have, still have debt. And, and I remember finishing graduate school and looking at that number and thinking, okay, I'll die before I finish this, right? And when Shelby started to school, getting the total amount of what tuition and room and board was at all the schools that he was looking at, it was like, uh, no, 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 no. That's a no. That's a huge no. $75,000 a year to go to the University of Denver? No, right? So we had to deal with all those things. And there were moments when I thought, man, I, if I just could win the lottery, but I don't play the lottery. So I don't think I'm going to win. But lots of people do. There's a show on HGTV or one of the, the design channels. It's called My Lottery Dream Home. Have you ever seen this? 
David Bromstad, who's a, a decorator and a realtor, uh, he has a show where he takes folks who have won the lottery and helps them find their dream home. And some of them have won literally tens of millions of dollars. Some of them have won uh, smaller wealth, uh, uh, you know, uh, lottery uh, wins like a million or, or half a million dollars. And what he does is he helps them figure out what kind of dream home would you like to have. And part of the questioning is, what do you not have right now that you wish you had, right? What are the things that, you know, do you want more room? Do you want a, a pool? Do you want a, a huge uh, house with a TV room or a movie room? What is it that you want? And that sort of trying to figure out then helps them determine what's a dream home for them. And they throw numbers around on that show, numbers that, that are numbers that I will never see in my entire life and many in this room will never see in our lives. And I watch that show, and what they're talking about is a place to belong, a place that feels like home, a place that they can raise their kids, a, a place where they can cook and eat together, a place where, where it, it feels like it's home. It may be a, a vacation home because they, they've already paid off their first house. It, it may be a million-dollar home, but they're still looking for that same thing. Research actually shows that people who win lotteries are no happier after they've won than before. They're often more depressed. They are more abused by their own families. They have gotten all kinds of requests, and it becomes almost a problem to have that wealth. A few times in my life, I've thought, yeah, I'll deal with the problem. Just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. I'll pray my way through it. It'll be all right. But then I remember, as I'm watching that show, that I have all that. I have a family that I love. I have a son that I'm so proud of who drives me insane. I, I have a wife that we've just celebrated our 26th anniversary on a trip, and, and I've got parents that are, are healthy, relatively my dad right now. We're still waiting for some test results in pathology, but I've got sisters who I love dearly. I've got uh, you know four, grand, uh, four nieces, and I've got four great nieces. It's an amazing gift that I can look at and say, I am so blessed. I am rich beyond compare. I have a degree. I have a home that I go to each week. I have food that I can eat. There, I have health care. There are so many things that let me know that I am blessed already beyond my deserving, right? That I am so blessed already. And to even think about what it would be like to be wealthier than I am, that's kind of too much to ask, right? So this story, as I was reading it again this week, because I, I made this series back in the spring and picked this text, and, and this text is very confusing. It's a, it's a text, a parable that Jesus tells, uh, and Luke reports that parable, uh, and it's a very difficult text because it talks about Jesus actually saying, being dishonest, you did a good job. You got to, you know, you, you made a way for yourself. Uh, you were going to get fired, and so you, you cut in half or, uh, you know, in uh, three quarters uh, the wealth that you have, the, what you owe, the debt that you have to this wealthy man. Uh, and, and after that, he loses his job, and he can go, hey, I just saved you half. Take care of me. I just saved you, you know. I just saved you money. You come and take care of me. He's setting up uh, this opportunity for him to take advantage of others. And there's this moment when Jesus in the text says, hey, that's true. That's good. And we think, seriously? Is that the truth? And then we get to the bottom line of this text. And the bottom line of this text is, you can't serve two masters. You cannot hold wealth and prestige and 
possessions, money, whatever, at the same level as you hold God. You can't serve them both. Now, one can serve the other, wealth and what we have in our gifts and our graces and all the things that we're bestowed with that can help us lead more faithful lives. But you can't hold wealth up in this you know, elevated position and also serve God. They don't go together. Jesus talks more about money and wealth than any other topic in the entire gospel lessons. Any other topic. He talks about it more than sin. He talks about it more than uh, any kind of misuse of others. He talks about it more than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He talks more about it than any other topic. And the way he talks about it, 99% of the time is that the wealthy have abused their wealth and not taking advantage of other people. Uh, and not taking advantage of that wealth to help other people, sorry. What he says often is that the wealthy are greedy for even more, that the poor have to be cared for, that we have to reach out and, and be faithful in the giving that we do. I, I've resigned to the fact that I'm never going to be wealthy. I'm just not going to be. I, 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 you know, I, my wife's a social worker. Ain't happening, Right? I'm a pastor. There's no way I'm going to get wealthy unless we get oil right out there. And I'm the one who pointed to it and said, try right there, right? You would love that as a treasure if we had an oil well right there. I grew up with churches that have oil wells right on their property. Uh, and uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. They get tens of thousands of dollars a month from some of those. Yeah, I don't think there's anything out there. There's water, you know because it keeps flooding, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm not going to be wealthy, but at the same time, I already am. I have abundant gifts beyond anything I could possibly dream of. I have a, a, an abundantly grace-filled and loving family, both my church family, my seminary family, and my birth family, and my family of choice. I am so blessed. I am so wealthy by the world's metrics. The fact that I live in this country and have a job and have a car. It's 13 years old, but it's a car. The fact that I have an education and health care and the opportunity to, to pursue my own dreams in life and my childhood to do that as well. We are wealthy beyond compare, even though at times you're scraping two coins together to try to figure out what's next. This church is always sort of uh, on the edge at times it feels like, but we also have some in abundance gifts that we can share. But we can't do that work without us working together on that, right? And so uh, there's this thing in, uh, uh, in preaching that everyone says the most horrendous thing you can talk about is money. It just puts people on the edge. But we have to. We have to talk about the fact that God gives us these gifts, and in order for us to do more, in order for us to share who we are with others, it, it takes your gifts. It takes your offerings. It takes your time and your talent when you do things for us and with us to serve the world around us. We've been going through a slump lately. Let's just be honest. It's been tough the last couple of years. So much transition, so much change. We're trying to move forward. The council is being as faithful as they can be. The call committee has been called. And we're trying to move forward in the best way we can. But we need you to do that. We can't do it without you. We can't continue to put the lights on and repair a 57-year-old chiller without you. 
We can't do the work that we do on Tuesday nights and uh, at St. Francis Inn and uh, down at uh, the Welcome Church and the pieces that we do every single week to, to try to make this place run as smoothly and as, as well as possible. We can't keep the lights on and our guys in the tech booth and the band. We're already abundantly wealthy in so many ways. What God calls us to do is to share that in ways that honor God and acknowledge what we already have. I'll never have a million dollars in my bank account, and that's okay. Again, I wouldn't mind trying if I were a wealthy woman. And then I remember over and over again, I already am. We all are in so many ways. May we continue to share who we are as individuals and as families. May we share who and what we are as a congregation doing ministry in the world. And may we continue to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that we can do those things.